My name is Josh Williford, and I'm uh, going to be presenting today on creating a culture of assimilation. Uh, if you are in the wrong class, this is your opportunity. We'll close our eyes, and you can go wherever you need to go. Um, and uh, for a little bio, I always like to know who's talking to me, talking at me. Um, I pastor a multi-site church in Aurora, and uh, I'm going I'm to close this. Oh, come on. I'm going to close this for now, Tim. Okay. Um, so I have uh, a church we have uh, a campus in Aurora uh, we also have a campus in Stowe what, what? Um, so you're going to hear from Carrie uh, in the second session and then uh, we're going to launch a, an Indian campus because um, we have a lot of folks that are Indian immigrants in our area and so we're really excited about that I also um, I'm about one class away from having a master's in practical theology and uh, so studied this particular area uh, in my graduate study uh, we're going to talk about today and then finally um, I serve as the network secretary for the Ohio Ministry Network um, which you may not know what that means and most days I don't know what it means um, but primarily uh, the easiest way to understand this is if you are interested in uh, ministerial credentials that is you have a call of God for vocational ministry, uh, to be a pastor or a ministry leader, and you want a credential or you're in a position today, if you're a credential holder, and you need to upgrade, I can help you there too. So my team um, helps uh, oversee that process. We have about 870 credentialed ministers here in the Ohio Ministry Network, and so I oversee that crew. So today we are going to be talking about um, the culture of assimilation. Now, uh, as you can see, I'm wearing a microphone. It is recording, so uh, you know you have that for posterity. You'll also we're going to upload. Uh, hey, John, um, we're going to upload uh, this PowerPoint with the additional notes that are in it to Sked, the Sked app. Uh, I'm going to try to email. I think I can email you all through that as well. So I'm going to try to do that as well, so that you have this and you don't have to feel like you got to furiously take notes here and you can focus and you can dial in. Uh, we're going to spend about the last 10 to 15 minutes hopefully um, in some conversation uh, and dialogue related to some question and answer. But today we're here um, to talk about assimilation and this first session, now some of you are not doing the whole track and that's okay, uh, this first session is a part of a whole track where we're going to talk about the culture of assimilation. Now, uh, you, that word may seem funny to you. Uh, assimilation is just a word that is popularly used about, uh, that, that talks about how do we get people from the, uh, the first time they're with us into the life of the church. The um, research tells us um, a few things about why assimilation is important. Um, number one is, is that the average church, check this out, has to grow by... 10% every year in order to remain the same size. Because there's a 10% attrition every year. So people die, right? Uh, people move. Um, some people get, you know, torn up about something. They want to leave and find another church. They have all kinds of reasons why there are transition. So for a church just to simply maintain its current size, it has to grow by 10% a year. But the challenge is, is that um, the average church um, only assimilates, only brings into the life of the church one out of every ten guests. So one out of every ten new people um, that comes to your church, um, they're, they're going to, uh, on average, come, will make it into the life of the church. And, and it's kind of crazy because 100% of the growth potential for your church is in the guests that come to your church. Like you can't grow outside of them, right? And so we have a bit of a challenge. Now, if this is true, um, there's a guy named Larry Osborne. He wrote a book called Sticky Church. Um, if you've never read the book, it's phenomenal. He creates a scenario in this um, book where um, he creates two different churches. So let's say a church is 250 people. So let's say that church grows to 500, but they, they lose 7 out of every 10 of their people they will have to actually bring through their doors to, to move to 500, they'll have to actually bring 834 people through their doors. That's unbelievable, right? That's a pretty high rate um, of folks coming through. Now let's look at church B. The same scenario, going from 250 to 500, that church only loses 3 out of every 10. 
they only have to see 357 people come through the door. Now listen, I'm going to say stuff like that. Don't think that I'm calloused. Don't think that this is about, hey, we want to just pack the seats or pack the pews. Listen, every person is loved by God. Right? Every person matters to God. And, and I believe, and I believe you believe this as well, you believe that God has a plan for their life. And you actually believe that God has a plan for your life related to your local church. Do you believe that? That, that they have, in fact, if, if I was to, to say, it's probably true, you know the areas in your church where they can grow the most. Right? I mean, is that true? There are some things that you go, boy, if you would just get plugged into here, I know that that would produce tremendous value in your life. You would grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I can think about it in our lingo at New Life. It's people and purpose. We know that if someone is going to get plugged into a place of ministry, listen, that's going to change their life. Right? Like real significant person on person, like ministry. If, if they get plugged into one of our small groups, what we know, we know that just the dynamic that happens there, that's going to touch their heart. Now, now we all have, all have these, right? But if the statistics are true, if the facts tell us that the majority of churches are not taking people from, from that first-time guest visit to, let me move this out of your way, um, to the place um, where they're becoming vibrant, connected into the life of the church, what's the, the miss, missing link here? Now, some of you are going to jump and say, it's a plan, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's true. But I would argue it's something else too. Second session, Carrie Ann over here, who's our connect pastor at New Life, um, she's going to talk about process. She's going to talk about a plan because everything has to be intentional. If we really care about people, then we're going to, we're going to think through what's going, to, what's going to shepherd them well toward growth and toward life in the Spirit and toward life. Like, right? We're going to do that. But, but one of the things that happens in conferences like these is, because I've been to lots of them, is we go, what's the strategy? What's the strategy? What's the strategy? What's the strategy? What's the process? What's the process? What's the, right? And then we go home. Anybody? How many senior pastors? Like, right? We go home and we go, I'm going to plug this in. And it starts out real strong, right? But then it fizzles out. And here's my, my contention. Here's my idea. Is part of the reason why it fizzles out, it's not because of the process. It was flawed. It's because the culture of your church rejected it. So let's talk a little bit. I'm going to kind of pull it high level for a moment, if that's okay. I'll talk a little bit about culture. So, um, have I been on a cross-cultural ministry trip? Gone to another country? Anybody? Yes? Okay. So, I've been on lots. And when you go on these places, and maybe, you know, maybe it's not even a cross-cultural mission trip. Maybe it's like, hey, going to your in-laws, you know. Right? So, <laughs> I've had that. My, 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 um, my, my wife's um, grandparents are from a town in western Kansas called Leota, Kansas. Uh, Leota is a um, population of like 800. And the next town is about an hour away. Okay? I mean, you are out there. I mean, like literally, if you see a gas station fill up just because you don't know when you're going to see one again. Okay? And I remember so clearly what it felt like um, to walk into that. And I grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up in small town. But that was a level of small town I had never interfaced with. And I remember thinking, boy, these people talk different. They, they dress differently. They, they interact differently. They greet differently. They, even just walking into the local diner, it was like a scene from a movie where they flipped around and they looked at us as we walked through the door because they had never seen these strangers before. And we know everybody in town, right? So those are the things we typically notice. Like on a cross-cultural mission trip, we notice clothing, we notice language, we notice all those things. So sociologists, missiologists will call that um, the artifacts, let's say culture is this big iceberg, they'll call it the artifacts of a culture. So that's the stuff you can see, right? So all, all of those things, all those trappings that you see. So if you've ever come into a new church, if you've been a guest in a new church, you see different. They do this order of service differently. They interact a little differently. They talk a little different. There's some internal language that's a little different, right? This is where processes live, okay? The above the water stuff. This is the process. But the challenge is that's part of the culture, right? Processes are part of the culture. But the majority of the culture is not found in the artifacts, right? 
This is why, and this is just like total aside, this is where I, I sometimes go into churches that have some friction. Okay? You know what most of the friction is? They're trying to change the artifacts, but they haven't touched the values. Now here's the deal. We don't know why the values are what they are. Right? I, you don't know what your culture is until you're interfaced with another culture and you've got something to compare it with. Right? But this will beat this. Uh, Peter Drucker says it this way. He says, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, I'll say it a little different way. Um, if assimilation is not something we do by nature, it won't be something we'll be able to fully accomplish by process. If it's not something that your church is wired to do naturally, like it's culture, they would do it whether there was a process or not, you can come in and put all the processes you want in place, and they're going to reject them because, because it's not the culture. It doesn't touch itself with the values and the history and the stuff that they don't understand, the stuff they don't even know is there. I mean, how many times uh, have I walked into a church where they said, we've never done it that way before. We've always done it this way. So why did you do that? When, why did you do it that way? When did that start? I don't, I don't know. We just, we just have, that's culture, right? So you have to change this before you can really change, change that. Because you will find yourself frustrated. So, so what... Then, what then um, are cultural values? We're going to talk cultural values. And these are not exhaustive lists. What are the cultural values that you need to cultivate? And then we're going to talk about strategies for how you cultivate them. But what are some cultural values you need to cultivate specifically in your assimilation process? So where, what are the things that we're trying to drive toward that are just, boy, if you turn the process off, it would still happen because this is just in us, right? So let's talk about a couple. Um, first one is a culture of friend-making. Now listen, I have walked into and consulted with a number of churches. Um, and when we talk about assimilation, we talk about all this stuff, and, and I'll, I'll say, you know, hey, describe for me your church. And almost every church has said, well, we're a friendly church. I have never, never, not one time, walked into a church and said, boy, we're not friendly at all. <laughs> now, listen, I've walked into churches that were not friendly at all, Right? But I have never, 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 never found a church who says, we, we are not friendly. Well, and, and they wear that as a badge of honor. Let me, let me just tell you, that's not a badge of honor. Rea here, here's another word for friendly. Polite. Right? So congratulations, you're polite. Right? I'm polite with the gas station attendant. I'm polite with the gal that helps me with my license renewal at the BMV. But I'm not looking to make friends with that person. Right? Friendly doesn't get you there. Being a church that makes friends will. So you want to build a church that's not just friendly. If you hear people in your church say, hey, we're a friendly church, say, well, that's great. Let's be a church that makes friends. That's a cultural value that you want to build in. Listen, if you do that, if you build a church that makes friends, you will find yourself in a place where people are getting connected and they just, you don't even know why, Right? It's because they are intentionally making friends. We're going to talk about how to do that in just a moment. We're going to have a culture of invitation. Culture of invitation. Now, sometimes this gets limited down to, in fact, I think there's a session on this, creating an inviting culture. Joe Grubbs is going to do it. And it's going to be a great one because Joe's a great guy. Um, but um, he's talking about, hey, inviting people to church. And that's an important part of this. But it's bigger than that, isn't it? I mean, how many times, maybe you've been that person, I've been, you know, gone to a church as a guest and you walk through. I remember going to a very large church, not a Somebody's of God church, uh, in California last year when we were at General Council. And uh, very well-known church. Very well-known church. Lots of books on my shelf from their lead pastor. Walked into the church and zero people, zero people made any invitation to me. Hey, can you come, you want to come over here? And, and fill out this card. You want to come over here and have a cup of coffee? Hey, 
you've been here a couple of weeks. Would you want to go have coffee with me? Would you want to have, hey, would you, well, I've got this life group that I host, right? So it's not just, hey, we're friends. This is that next step that says everybody in the church is inviting people deeper into the life of the church. Further into what, what's happening into the life of the church. This is where, where everybody owns this process. I want to talk about that more in a moment. The final culture that um, I think is critical in an assimilation culture is a culture of on-ramps. So um, here in Columbus, there is a, a loop. If you're familiar with Columbus at all, you know that there's a loop around the city. This is true of a lot of cities um, in one form or another. That's 275 in Cincinnati. It's 270 in Columbus. Uh, Cleveland's kind of weird because it's a couple of different highways uh, that make it happen. Um, but um, there are on-ramps throughout that, right? So you can get on and off where you need to get to. Not everybody comes onto the highway at the same point, right? Uh, we tend to build our assimilation processes for people who walk through the front door. But what if they don't walk through the front door? Right? What if, what if you have a small group leader who invites somebody to their small group and the way they get connected to your church is through that door? Well, you still have a responsibility to assimilate. You still have a responsibility to get them connected. You still have a responsibility. I mean, you have all these, right? So, so it's a culture of on-ramps that says, hey, one lever is probably not going to, to be sufficient to pull down to get everybody connected, right? So when you think about on-ramps, not, probably not a lot, depending on the size of your church, but think through the lens of, hey, um, how can I get that, te- how is that teenager getting connected? You know, that's the other thing, and this is kind of off the cuff right here, but it just popped in my head. We often think about assimilation just from the adult standpoint. Sunday morning, that's my lens. And granted, that's, that's a big one, right? But teenagers are just as much a viable part of your church, right? And I know about you, but my church has a ton of teenagers that do not engage with us um, in a traditional format, because they're not church, and they got invited by a friend, um, and you know we're doing everything we can to get their information. It's very challenging, uh, and not to look creepy, and you know, like you'll get what I'm saying. Like that's challenging, right? It's a culture of on ramps that says, "Hey, we're going to make friends. We're going to invite. We're constantly being being bringing people along, right? Follow me, follow me, right? Um, and then then having ways for people to get connected in in various." functions and formats. So the question becomes, how um, do we do this, right? Because that's ultimately where a lot of us live, right? I think part of part of the what I have shared to this point, you know, you get the amens because you go, yeah, I feel that. I mean, I, th- I want more people to be assimilated in the life of my church. I want that, right? Or, or may- and maybe that's not happening for you as much as you'd like it to be, right? And you feel, you were like, hey, I'm church A, man. I'm like, I'm there. And then you sit back and you go, yeah, I get the, cult- I get the culture of friendliness, uh, of making friends, I get that on ramps, I get invitation, but how do we get there? So here are four things that I want to uh, drill down on today that um, I think are of critical importance when it comes to um, strategies for changing culture. Now, I want to hit it again. Your church people do not know their own church culture. You need, so, so when you start, t- you're going to tell them something that is fundamentally foreign to them. Okay? You're, you're going to be giving them something that they, they have no idea. Okay? Um, so there's this illustration. I want to hit it again because it's such a critical point. Um, these two fish, two young fish are swimming this way down, down the... Um, in this pond or whatever. They're swimming this way and an older fish comes toward them and the older fish says to the younger fish, um, how's the water this morning, boys? And they keep swimming. They keep swimming and the two younger fish, one says to the other, what's water? See the point? People are in the water and they don't even know they're in it. Okay? So these are things that you can do to help them see their culture 
so that then the, to- the culture can change. Right? The first one is this. We've got to create helpful parallels in communication and we've got to say it often. We've got to create helpful parallels in communication and then we need to say it often. So the first half of that sentence. Create helpful parallels in communication. If you start your conversation, pastors especially in this room, you have the power of the pulpit, right? Um, but you, many of you are ministry leaders. Many of you are in a place where, of significant influence or you wouldn't be here this, this morning. And what can happen is that we start with, hey, here's what we need to do, right? Um, that probably won't get you there. A better strategy is to create helpful parallels. Create scenarios that are similar that can help them see it in this box so they can take it to this box. So one of the, I'll give you one. Okay? Can, I, can I give you one that you can use? Um, and contextualize this for your own situation. I remember the first time I met my wife's family. How many of you know families have cultures? Right? They have traditions and ways of doing things. Right? Um, and I remember um, meeting them for the very first time and it was like a Thanksgiving meal. Like, that I really met the family. I mean, I met her mom and dad. Like, it was a Thanksgiving meal. And so all her aunts and uncles, all the, all the family you don't roll out the first meeting, right? Like, all those folks are there, right? And um, I remember being the, the outsider, hoping to become an insider, right? I kind of like that girl. Um, hoping to become an insider, hoping to becoming a part of this family. And I remember needing translation, right? Because there's an internal culture. There was shared history I didn't have, right? Um, there, there, there were customs that were confusing to me. There were people that, uh, boy, I wish we could have hid them, right? Like, do you have people in the church like this? Like, please don't meet them first. Please don't meet them first, right? right? Um, so we had all of that stuff, right? And I specifically remember one or two, my, my wife's uncle, Hugh, and, and her brother, uh, her sister, were so helpful to me because they helped me learn how to contextualize and assimilate into the life of that family. They gave me some history. Hey, you're going to watch out for him. He's like this. Or you, you, this is what they're laughing about. Or this is what you get what I'm saying, right? Well, that's just church, right? See how easy it is to make that pivot? That's something people can understand. Then when you start talking about, hey, we, and you know what? We're like a family too. We have a, we have a culture. Now people can latch on to that. And they can begin to elevate because if they can become aware of their culture, they can then know how to change it. It'll be obvious. Okay. Second thing, oh, in this particular sentence, is now you've got to say it often. Listen, I cannot stress this enough. If you feel like you've said it until you're sick, you're not, you're just, they're just now hearing it. They're just now hearing it. Pastor John, our superintendent, some of you know him, is the best at this. John repeats himself over and over, literally the same words, over and over and over and over again. And I sit back and go, sometimes I sit back and go, God, why in the world are you saying that? We all know that. And then I'll meet that person and goes, well, I didn't know. I'm so glad he shared that today. Right? Say it clearly. Say it with parallels. Say it often. The second thing is this. Recruit everyone to the team. Listen, a new life, um, there, truly, we have some people, we have some, you know, some folks. At the end of the day, this is one of those teams. Everybody's on the assimilation team. There's everyone in the church. I don't care whether you're serving in nursery. I don't care whether, like, everybody's on this team. Everybody's on this team. You don't, if you help people understand, in your training processes with your volunteer teams, listen, you start out with, start out with this process. You cannot go on to your specialized training in kid men or media or men's ministry or women's ministry without going first to you are, you are on the simulation team just by virtue of being on. Okay? It's important. It's important. Because if you'll do that, then everybody will see it. And here's another piece, and this is kind of a, a, a second step to this one. Um, 
help your team then understand the process. So if your team knows in this, so if everybody's on a team and then you train them to help them understand the process, they know the end from the beginning, right? You're sitting there going, why in the world won't they take this person here? Listen, if they don't know that that's the next step in the process, they won't take them there. And you'll be amazed at what happens as you do this, right? As you cultivate this. So finally, this is a big one. Celebrate and appreciate. Here's a little quick phrase for you. What you celebrate gets repeated. What you celebrate in your church gets repeated. I've got two small kids, um, two young boys. And uh, what I celebrate among them, right, gets repeated. So if, if they do something good, right, if they get good report cards, we celebrate, right? And then they want to work hard in school. Because <laughs> what, what, what you celebrate gets repeated. What you celebrate gets repeated. So when you have that volunteer who does it right, pastor, take two minutes on a pulpit and say, boy, so-and-so did this and they helped this, this person who's brand new in our church do this. And it was so great. They got them connected in the life of our church because we all know our groups are a big deal. And so they actually got them connected to one of our group leaders that fit them the most. And, and now they're plugged into a group. So, man, that right there will create tremendous value for you. You do that over and you become the chief cheerleader. You become the chief celebrator. It's powerful. It's powerful. Now, here's the crazy thing. Sometimes, in situations like this, and listen, I've been here. I I started in New New Life in Aurora. um, We were 35 people. 75% 75% of whom were senior adults, 65 and older, okay? So I have been in all stages of church life. I know what it is to think, boy, that sounds great, Josh. I could never change the culture of my church. And part of the reason why we think we can never change it is because we think we have to get everyone on board. Sociologists actually say you only need 10% of any organization to start doing something different to change the culture. That's unbelievable. That's a lot easier target, right? Especially when you're... So we were a church now of 75. We'll give you a story and it will come with a tool. And then we'll have some Q&A. Um, we were a church of 75 um, at the time. And I was noticing people were just not connecting. Right? There was just not the culture. We had processes. And our initial impulse was, well, we got the process. We just need to refine the process. But that never worked. And so, um, so I remember having a conversation in a hallway, uh, a general counsel with a leader who used to be in charge of the My Healthy Church initiative at the national level. And um, Mike said, hey, you know what you might try? He said, it's cheesy, okay? It's cheesy, but it it really worked for us to change culture when it came to assimilation. He said, you're going to get all your leaders, right? So the time, probably our leaders probably represented about 10% of our church, right? Probably more than that, you know? So we had about 75 or 80 people on a Sunday morning. We probably have 15 leaders between the board and, and, you know, key ministry leaders. So 15, 16 people, right? So take those people, and what you want to do is you say, how do you get, and this is cheesy, guys, so buckle up, okay? He how do you get to where you need to go in a car? It's miles per hour. That's cheesy, right? MPH, right? Miles per hour. So here's what we did. Here's what we did. We created a card. Right? M, a P, and an H, and a place for them, and a little line by each one of them, and a place for them to put their name on it. And we said, okay, we're going to, we want you to do three things every Sunday morning. We're going to try this for six weeks. Who'd you meet? Write their name. Who'd you pray for? Write their name. Who did you help? Write their name. You cannot have the same name in two slots. Not with our church people. With our leaders. Okay? Who'd you meet? Who'd you pray for? And who'd you help? Right? 
sign your name to the bottom, put it in the office. Now what I did then, I did a little bit of that celebrate and appreciate, right? I took another step. I said, listen, I'm going to draw somebody's name out of that box every week for six weeks and you're going to get a gift card. Okay? And Mike told me when he said, try this out. He said, it'll change your church culture. He said, it'll take six weeks for it to take hold. And I thought, malarkey. Malarkey. And we watched it happen. Because if you can get 10%, especially your key leaders, that now walk through the door and they are intentionally going, at first it's like an assignment, right? Okay, who do I meet? I got to go meet somebody, right? Imagine that shift though, coming into church, walking through the doors going, holy cow, I got to meet somebody, right? That I don't know. Okay, who did I pray for? Now you got 10% of your, you got your leaders hunting people down to pray for them. Right? And at first, yeah, they're checking a box, but that, that behavior will become a practice. Right? Who'd you help? Within six weeks, we saw a shift, and I, saw, I heard leaders saying, I had never met that person before. I got to hear their story. I got, and now, it's, the, the natural stuff starts taking place. They start seeing the stuff happen, and now, they're starting to rub off on other people. Right? And we go from being a church where the processes aren't working to literally um, one of those shifts in that season. We literally started, it was crazy, guys. Um, end of October. This happened during the, the month of October of 20, oh geez, um, 2015. Um, th- we did that during that season. Um, end of October, last Sunday of October, we had. 77 people, I think is what it was. First Sunday of November, it was 100. First Sunday of December, 114. Over the next year, we would grow by 150%. I'm not saying this is a grow-quick scheme. I'm saying if you get a church full of people who are meeting new people, praying with them, and helping them, it will change your church culture. And the processes will be easy. They'll just be channels. They'll just be opportunities. This is something you can do. And listen, it doesn't matter the size of your church. Listen, you got 500 people, and let's say 50 of them are leaders and some level of leadership. Pull them together in a leadership meeting. Say, hey, we're going to do something fun. Put a prize with it. Make it fun. And then that week in the email, you say, you know who so-and-so met? You know who so-and-so prayed for? And, so, so, and, and listen, they're going to get a $5 gift card to Starbucks. Right? Anybody can do this. If you will change this, you can change. And, and this has spiritual implications, right? And that person who feels disconnected and alone, that, that family who's new to the community, I mean, that, that person who is broken and, and, and they're just desperate for somebody to pray for them, that, that, that elderly woman who, who needs to move out of her apartment and move somewhere else. That happened during this time, by the way. Where we had two elderly ladies living together and they needed to move and somebody's said, hey, is there any way I can help you? And she said, yeah, actually, I need to move. And they went that week and they helped them move. Listen, that's spiritual stuff. That's spiritual stuff. So let's uh, use the remaining time we have. We've got a few minutes here on purpose um, to um, do Q&A. Any questions? Any? Yes, sir. Core values. Are those the same as those other values that you talked about, cultural values? Are core values are the same? So, yeah, it's a good question. So, in, in this particular setting, I think they can reflect your core values for your church. They aren't necessarily the same. Um, these are just some values specific to assimilation that I think are true. Uh, they're probably not exhaustive. There are probably other ones, and you probably have more better ideas than I do. But your core values for your church are more in nature that they, they shape the organizational culture as a whole. Right? They're, they're, the, they're the behaviors that you want to be in place in your church because there are a lot of ways to do church. You say, hey, these are the ways we want to act. And so you set those. You know, So these aren't the values that are on the wall. These are all the values that are going on down the hall. Right? <laughs> no questions? Don't get quiet on me. I only prepared 45 minutes because they told me to leave question time. So,
Ask it. Couldn't hear that. Small church. Here's a scenario. Small church. Uh, this should sound familiar to some in this room. Boy, I can I live this hardcore. Um, one or two, three families that are woven into the life of the church. Right? Those big family units, small church. They kind of been there for a long time. How do you how do you break that up? How do you break that up? Um, that's tough. I think it's one of the greatest challenges in small church when it comes to assimilation. What you've hit there is because when we go back to that, that culture piece, um, so this piece here um, is real, right? That's what you're talking about. All this shared history, well, so-and-so's done that forever, right? Um, so at I'll say something to the senior pastors in the room uh, that, that you're not going to be able to probably do. Okay? Um, sometimes you just have to introduce a little uh, disruptor into the culture. Um, sometimes what you have... I, I remember we've got a very wonderful lady. She's like a grandma to my children. I love this woman. Okay? Um, we, like, to the point that we eat in her home every Monday night. Okay? So we, we love... I love this lady. Okay, um, she was the lady who did the dinners. I said that sentence on purpose. She was the lady who did the dinners. Right? Period. Sentence over. Okay. Um, and I'm seeing an opportunity for connection. I've said, hey, why don't you consider so and so maybe to help you out? No, no, no. I got it. I got it. I got it. I've been doing this forever. I've been doing this for four years. No, 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 you're missing the point here. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. I, I want you to bring somebody along with you um, because I want them to get to know you. Because I think you love Jesus a lot and they need to know you. Okay? Uh, but I, I, I got it, Pastor. Ray. Okay, listen. I'm going to bring this person into the kitchen <laughs> and they are going to work with you and you are going to work with them. Okay? Because they're new to our church and they need friends. Can you be their friend? Right? Finally, it starts seeping in. Right? Um, that's a hard thing. The average um, church, especially that size, I think they heard stats just last week, it takes about seven years for somebody to fully assimilate in a church like that. Here's the scary part. is um, uh, Charles Arne, uh, who's a researcher in this specific field, says um, that if a person does not have five to seven significant relationships within the first six months of the life of the church, or their, their attendance in the church, there's an 82% chance they will be gone within the first 12 months. So, listen, this is scary, because I, I, I like to fancy myself a decent preacher. Right? My preaching doesn't keep them there. I mean, Carrie can testify. Like, we got pretty good music going on, right? It's a pretty hopping place. Doesn't keep them there. Even our kid men, right? The great kids men, like, doesn't keep people there. You know what keeps people in church? Relationships. Which makes sense, right? Right? And so, this is a challenge. It's a challenge that um, has to be acknowledged. Um... And it can be a threatening thing. I don't have a good solution because it, it's, they tend to be pretty unique situations, each one. I, I acknowledge that you have that challenge. <laughs> um, and it may be an opportunity. Sometimes it takes the courage to say, you know, start starting with a, a pastor or a leadership team, you know, go on the right steps in the right order, not make a big stink about it because I've seen people do that too. That's not helpful, right? To say, you know, I, I love this church. My family is being ministered to. I, you people are my friends now. It was hard for me 
because there are so many families, and that family thing is a good thing. But there's a phrase at New Life that we use. Uh, it's God makes us family. God makes us family. That's our, like, I could say that, and everybody knows what that means. It's one of our cultural statements, right? God makes us family. With that, when I say that at New Life, it means that, yes, God makes us family you know, biologically, right? But more than that, God knits us together, all together. And, and in fact, I just preached a message in January. It says God's family is um, always growing, but somehow there's always more room. Right? And so part of that is begin circulating that language. Um, and ultimately, you know, that's got to be bought into by, by those core leaders or it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. So um, as far as making it really practical, so the, the, the MPH thing you shared, that's really great for leaders who get it. Yep. They, they know the importance of prayer. They, they kind right. of important. So I'm thinking of like really piecing it down. Okay, it's Sunday morning. I have ushers, greeters, the people working the coffee bar. Not all of them are saved. Some of them have only been to church a right. little bit. Kind of, you know, because it's kind of, we want them in the door. We, they know they can't right. along. It's Place where you serve, and they don't completely get all the spiritual yeah. subculture yet. So, is there something practical, like a, like a good Sunday morning win, to give these volunteers that isn't like, hey, every week, who yeah. are doing these things? Just because they, right. they, they may not understand it. So, what's like a, yeah, what's a practical culture? That's a great question. Those, like, front door yeah. Things? So, what kind, of, what kind of onboarding process do you have there at Harvest Ridge? For that person who's a coming in at that entry level, level one. Yeah, we kind of say like you, like you belong, or yeah, you belong before you leave all that stuff. Sure. So honestly, the, the training is very minimal. It's hey, if you can smile, you can stand at our door, yeah. park our cars. Um, so we don't require a lot right away. Like right. Builds. So, um, in that particular scenario, what you're describing. Oh, which is about the opposite of what you're, you're in, right? So Harvest Ridge is a decent-sized church. Um, it has some pretty good culture anyway, you know. Um, the, uh, what I would say is training goes a long way to creating culture. Um, if you don't set, there's this, uh, I remember seeing this picture one time of this road in Alaska. And it had all these different ruts. And there was a sign at the beginning of the trail that said, pick your rut because you're going to be in it for a while. Um, I think about that in a situation that, um, and here's what we do, is on- online training. So most of our training takes place uh, in an online platform, which by the way, you can get, uh, we use a different one, but Ohio Learning Portal uh, by Leader Development uh, is a free online learning platform that you can use provided before by the Ohio Ministry Network. We don't use it, but um, we use a similar thing. And what we do is say, hey, same deal. I've said this. I've said it time and time again. Hey, if you can smile, hand on a bolt, and hold the door open, be nice, um, then you can greet. Is that okay. No, I don't think so. Here, here's the thing: is I think our 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 um, volunteer uh, our greeting training, mm-hmm. so which is one of our entry level spots, yeah. is 17 minutes long. Okay. Okay. It's a video. We talk about. You know, the different dynamics of what it really means. You know, so we have little phrases like, hey, don't, you know, I uh, think of one like, uh, uh, don't, be a, uh, don't be a bird dog, be a sheep dog. So don't point, shepherd. Take people. Where they, like, those are things I want them to know out of the gate. And in, woven into that are cultural values. So they begin to see from the get-go, even if, because we would think that our cultural values, even if, the, let's say they're not a believer, Okay. Uh, and every church is going to process this little piece differently. But let's say they're not a believer. I would hope that our first impressions training would show them something about Jesus. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Would show them why we treat people like this because Jesus teaches us how to treat people. Right? So we're discipling them in as much as we're training them to a specific task. I would think something like that that can be condensed, can, can be thoughtful, intentional, could out of the gate say, hey, and you could even introduce an idea. Hey, one of the things we want you to do is meet new people, get connected to people, and here's why. Right? Um, share your story. I heard a story last week. I was at a training um, last week in Springfield, Missouri. And they shared a story about 
um, a church who the guy walks in as a guest speaker and he's greeted by this front door person who's like two years into the church and he said, listen, we're so glad you're here today. Our, literally, this is, this is how they greeted. Our life has been changed by this church. We walked in this church broken and lost and now we have a home and we have Christ. We're so glad that you're our church today. He's like, it was an entirely different way to walk through the door. Like, something's happening here. This isn't some like person that's been here for 15 years. We, we just came here. And like, we, wanna, we are so excited about it. We've got to tell you right through the door. Right through the door. That kind of thing sets a tone. I would say the other piece would be for somebody who's never let somebody like that serve alone. Right? So your, your, your um, volunteer processes are what we call purpose at New Life. Um, never lets... This is one of the greatest dynamics for your discipleship that you can have. That's why we, we consider this to be important. It's more than getting a job done. We actually schedule uh, certain people with certain people. So we'll say, hey, I know so-and-so is going through something in their life, and I got this 75-year-old lady who can disciple the fool out of people. Right? <laughs> so they're going to serve a nursery together because I know they're going to get an hour. And I know Barb well enough, she's going to get in that person's business whether I have to tell her to or not. <laughs> She's going to shape them. And so then you're, you're intentionally building, you're taking that person who gets the quote-unquote MPH culture. Yeah. They're, they're just going to follow the leader, right? That's an easy thing. And you really, it happens through, you know, through relationships, osmosis, right? It just happens because they've already built that, Cindy. A little bit off the, kind of the same okay. subject. How can we help churches when they get a new senior pastor. You now have a family coming in that has their own culture and the church has its culture. We're several years into a senior pastor and we all love him Mm -hmm. but we're still doing this. You will. I mean just, uh, it takes I can't remember the uh, what's typical. I, I can know this. I've been at my church for almost nine years, uh, it wasn't until and I and maybe John, you can probably fill this as well. Um, it wasn't until about year seven that I felt like I was actually the pastor of that church. Um, <laughs> National average is factors. Yeah. Depends upon the history of the church. Depends upon the history of the church. If you don't pastor longer than five years. You pastor your former pastor's church. Yeah. So I, I remember uh, Aubrey Malpers, who's a uh, uh, he's. Uh, scholar on at Dallas Theological Seminary, he, he, uh, he talked about this sequence that, and I'm doing off the top of my head, so you have to forgive me here. He talks about this is the pastor, this is um, um, our pastor, this is my pastor. Like There's this sequence that takes place. Hey, this is the pastor of the church. And so in, in that sequence, it's, hey, I'm the chaplain. I'm going to do your wedding, I'm going to do your funeral, but, you know. And then you move to, this is our pastor, right? And now you move to, no, this is my pastor. And this is where, like, no, like you were there with me when it, like it was going. I called you when, you know, I was wrecked. You know, that's a, and that takes time. That's any relationship, especially in a pastoral situation. Because they're doing the same thing on the other side. And so communication um, is critical. Patience. um, It's a whole lot of love. Like, invest in the relationship. And that tends to, to rise to the surface. You get you through those things. But but recognize every leader is going to bring automatically. So that's probably the other thing that I'll let's say that I'll leave probably leave you with. Culture's not static. Okay? Culture can become entrenched, but it's a dynamic thing. So um, change is you know is hard, but it's happening, right? So whether it's happening slowly or not, I mean, that's just that's where we're at. So is it glacial? So there are churches, 67% of churches in the Assemblies of God are plateaued or declining. It's about the same as the national averages of churches, evangelical churches. Um, most of those churches have been in that space because, remember, it takes 10%. You're losing 10% every year, so you're doing a little gain, so you're kind of keeping this equilibrium, right? You don't notice it. Right? So there's this slow glacial change that's happening, but under the, under the surface, it's a bit of a sinkhole forming. Right? So then you see those churches that all of a sudden it's like they free fall. 
Why is that? Well, there was some kind of event that poked the sinkhole. Right? That's what, what happens a lot of times. So, when we are aware of our culture, when we're aware that change is happening regardless, it helps us. Right? And different people like different paces of change. Okay? I'm one of those people. I don't like to be settled for too long. Okay? Um, if you were to ask me to speak from that stool right there, I just don't know that I could do it. If I don't have both my hands free, I can't talk. Okay? Um, but then there are other people who are a little bit more reticent to change, right? And that's not a bad thing. It just means they're different. Okay? We need both in a church to make it healthy. Folks that are a little more stable, a little less flighty like me, right? Uh, a little less, a little more plan-oriented. Okay? Both are needed. Both are needed. But we have to remind it that culture is dynamic, it's changing, and if, and if you can get this, if you can get this, the processes will come easy. The processes can be something that help change your culture. The processes have to work in tandem with this. They have to function. And, and next session, Carrie's going to dive deep into um, the how of this um, so that you can, can capture a great picture of that. Here's what I want to do. We are right on time. Okay? Um, and I want to pray for you. Uh, that God would uh, use what's happening here because we're not just talking strategies here. This has spiritual implications. This has discipleship implications. This has like, life change implications. And I would hope that, that we would want to pull as many people into the life of our church into the meaningful spaces that saw help them to grow the most. And if we're intentional, we can get them there. We can get them there. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful to you for this wonderful group of leaders. Um, what a powerful um, group that's in here. God, what uh, just a tremendous amount of horsepower for the kingdom in this room. God, churches from all across Ohio, all of, of different ki- types and sizes, uh, of different contexts, from rural to suburban to urban. Uh, you have every stripe in here, but we have the common desire to see people experience life change in this thing that you created called the church. So it's not our idea. This is not our strategy. You started this thing. You are the head of the church. You want people to grow. You want people to get connected. We want it to be said of us that that every day the, the number was being added to those who were being saved. We want that to be said of us, that they they find a place and they find a home and they find a family, they find value and meaning and purpose in the life of the church. So God, help us to be thoughtful and intentional. Help us to be good shepherds that guide them to places where um, they can grow and flourish and find your life as we share life together. So Father, I pray your blessing upon them. Anoint them for your purposes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're going to hang, again, if you're hanging out for the whole track, you can stay put. There's restrooms across the hall. If you're not, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming.